encountering the texture of the text of God's Word, text and context. Let's hop into Mark this morning. Alrighty. I'm wearing pink in honor of the Barbie movie. No, I have not seen it yet, but I'd like to at some point. Somebody wants to take their preacher on a date to go see the Barbie movie, that'd be fun. <laughs> I really do want to see it, actually. It looks funny. <laughs> Alrighty. Okay. I'll write you a detailed review, Alex, just for you. All right, well, I'm going to start us in prayer, and then we'll be in Mark chapter 11, talking about the triumphal entry, or as it may be, the not-so-triumphal entry, or as Rosemary reminded us last week, the not-at-first triumphal, but later, upon further reflection, triumphal entry. It's an entry of some sort. We'll debate what kind of entry it really is. Let's pray. Oh, God, as we open our Bibles... You open also our head and our hearts and our hands. Thank you that we are gathered together this morning. Just pray that you would illumine your word for us this morning and that it would have an effect in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, triumphal entry. Somebody want to read the triumphal entry? I keep reading it all the time, so go ahead. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Just say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing, untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread their leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Excellent. Beautiful reading. I love that you actually shouted at the appropriate time. There are exclamation points. Uh, yes, there are exclamation points. Uh, I believe that is Psalm 118 that he's quoting, is it not? Somebody have a footnote? Yes, it is. Aha, I found it. Psalm 118. Have you read all of Psalm 118? So it's important whenever Jesus is quoting a psalm to have some of the, the feel of the whole psalm, I think. Like, for example, on the cross, what does he cry out on the cross? Um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's not just random. That's a psalm. It's Psalm 22, I think. Um, and if you read that whole psalm and then read the crucifixion, like, there's, there's a lot of beauty to be had between comparing the two, seeing the, the overlap. Jesus is clearly alluding to that in part. Um, so these people are quoting in part Psalm 118. So here's a question. Why? Why that psalm? There's 150 of them, right? That may not be the one you would have chosen. You probably would have chose, I don't know, whichever one's your favorite, right? Um, what? You chose that one? I would have chose uh, Psalm 117. It's only two verses. Uh, quote the psalm in its entirety 
is an impressive person. Uh, Psalm 118 is about 29 verses, but I, I think it's important that we read it because that's clearly what Jesus is, is, well, Jesus is not quoting it. The people are quoting it about Jesus, but still in relation to Jesus. So let's, let's read Psalm 118. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this if you want to follow along. The heading says, A Song of Victory. Oh, give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear Yahweh say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on <coughs> Yahweh, and Yahweh answered me and set me in a broad place. With Yahweh on my side, I do not fear. What can mortals do to me? It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Reading that as Jesus is going into Jerusalem. Heal the body. They can kill the body. Yeah. There's a great little line in the Apocrypha. I can't remember where it is. It's in one of the Maccabees or something. But these people are, the, the Greeks are, are trying to beat down the Jews, and the Jews say, that's fine. Uh, they can kill our bodies, but that's all they can do. And they say something like, they think they're killing us, but really they're not. Something like that. And it's, it's really beautiful. Um, let's see. Oh, with Yahweh on my side, I do not fear. What can mortals do to me? Kill the body, Warren says. That's right. Yahweh is on my side to help me. I shall look in triumph. There's a, a word, triumphal entry. Shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in Yahweh than to put confidence in mortals. It's better to take refuge in Yahweh than to put confidence in princes. All nations surround me. In the name of Yahweh, I cut them off. They surround me, surround me on every side. In the name of Yahweh, I cut them off. They surround me like bees. They blaze like a fire of thorns. In the name of Yahweh, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but Yahweh helped me. Yahweh is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. There are glad songs of victory in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of Yahweh does valiantly. The right hand of Yahweh is exalted. The right hand of Yahweh does valiantly. Eventually, Jesus will be seated where again? I shall not die, but I shall live. After Jesus dies on the cross, what happens again? I forget the storyline. Oh, yeah. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of Yahweh. Yahweh has punished me severely. But he did not give me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to Yahweh. This is the gate of Yahweh. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. And here's another line that we've heard several places elsewhere in scripture. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. I've heard that one before, right? Yeah. Jesus is going to quote that later whenever he does the, I believe he quotes it in the parable of the tenants, the tenants who they're given this vineyard to look over and then eventually he sends his son to, and then they kill the, yeah, all that. I'm pretty sure he quotes it in that parable. Uh, Verse 23, this is Yahweh's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Of course it's his doing. Who else could do something like that? This is the day that Yahweh has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I'm telling you, this psalm has a bunch of little lines that we know in fragment, but we forget that they all go together in the same psalm. Mm. This is the day that Yahweh has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Yahweh. O Yahweh, we beseech you, give us success. 
And now here's finally the part that they're quoting. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of Yahweh. We bless you from the house of Yahweh. Yahweh is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. I will give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Do you see the connection there? Between, I mean, do you, is your mind making connections already now that you go back to the triumphal entry? Mine is. Uh, I already read this like ahead of time for prep, but I'm already getting new ideas as I read it this time, right? Um, yeah. Uh, so every time I was reading uh, from the NRSV, it does not say Yahweh. It says all caps L-O-R-D, but I replace it with Yahweh because I think it's important. Okay? But let's say I, let's, let's remember that in the Bible, Old Testament, English translations, it's often all caps, L-O-R-D, Lord. What does Jesus tell them to say if they ask who needs the colt? Yes, and my translation says Lord master. The Lord needs it. Yeah. Master. Yeah. The Lord needs it. Is it capital L-O-R-D? Not in the New Testament. In the New Testament, they don't do that because... There's just no Greek form of the... Because there's just no... Yeah, there's no Greek form of that same thing. But, um, yeah. So the practice of all caps L-O-R-D is only an Old Testament phenomenon because of the Hebrew name Yahweh, right? They don't have a Greek form of the name Yahweh because they stopped pronouncing it, right? And in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, okay? So uh, Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, New Testament originally written in Greek, but the Old Testament was also translated into Greek, and most people in Jesus' day read that instead of the Hebrew because most people read Greek instead of Hebrew at that time. The rabbis, some of them would for sure, but most of them read Greek. Well, whenever they got to all caps L-O-R-D, they translated it in Greek, Kyrios, Lord. But now whenever you go to the New Testament, you don't capitalize it because it's, it's not. But they capitalize it right? Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes, yeah, usually. Mm-hmm. But the all caps letters indicate specifically the divine name, right? Especially in the Old Testament. But I still think there's a connection there, right? The Lord needs them. And the Lord is a little bit of an ambiguous term, right? Because it can mean master. So, go ahead. My question is, Okay. Um, when they do this, uh-huh. they come upon, you know, this random cold. And these <laughs> people say, you know, what are you doing? I'm tying it. And so... And then when he said it's for the Lord, the Master, or whatever. Yeah. You're assuming that these people have already heard about the Lord, the Master, and Maybe. what he represents, or that he's doing weird stuff, or. Yeah. And so it's um, kind of interesting that, yeah. you know, just random people. Yeah. How random are they is How their question, right? They? Like, are they, they already there? followers of Jesus? Yeah. And Jesus, like, worked this out ahead of time? Right. So it's, like, yeah. completely... He knew they it's, would it's, be there. It's just time. a miscommunication on the disciples' part. He's right. like, look, you don't need to know all the details, but I got it worked out. Yeah. Or is it, like, a supernatural thing? Right. Like, Jesus says, there's a cult over there. Go get it. Whenever they ask what for, just tell them the Lord needs it. And they'll say, oh, that's good enough for us. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. is, is it more miraculous, kind of? Or does the owner have a dream or a vision? Yeah. Or that. Yeah. And he goes, yeah. yeah. And he's going... Okay, sure. I just dreamed that last night. <laughs> so it's almost a gift that we don't know, perhaps. But uh, more on that in a second. Yeah, Alex. So the way I think about it is they're going, what are you going to do with this thing? It's not broken in. 
Nobody's ever written it's never it. been written. Oh, yeah, okay. It's a wild animal. Yeah. What are you going to do with it? Yeah. Would they be, would they be hard to ride if they're... Okay, I knew that, totally. <laughs> that itself is miraculous that, that, that Christ was able to jump up on there and mm. throw them off. Okay. These people yeah. are probably going, he's going to ride it? Yeah. What are you doing with this thing? It's working. So even if they worked it out ahead of time, there might be like a, really, that's what Jesus wants to ride it? Look, I got a prized stallion over here. Right? But that's, that's the way of Christ, though. You know, he came in and Light the manger, he was yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and certainly, I mean, you know, this is where I get into the it's not terribly triumphant thing, which is a donkey, right? That is not a triumphant animal to ride into Jerusalem on. Kings and warriors and conquerors, they ride in on big war horses, right? Not a stinking little donkey. But, but it's also partly in fulfillment of prophecy in Zechariah, who says he comes to you humble and lowly riding on a colt. And so that's certainly part of it. And, and of all the ways for the Messiah to come, on a colt. On a, on a, on a wild colt. On a, the one that hadn't been ridden before. Yeah. That's just crazy. So it doesn't really talk about it, but do you think maybe, I mean, clearly it worked okay enough that they you know, can have a worship procession as he's going. But do you think maybe it, he had a little bit of trouble with it? Like, that'd make it a little bit even less triumphant, too. No, I think, I think the colt knew that it was Jesus Christ. Mm. Are you the one that shared that story about the? It's like a little, little cute Bible school story, but it's from the perspective of the donkey. I've heard that before. Do you know what I'm talking about? I've heard that somewhere. Somebody shared that with me the last time I talked about the. Because during Lent, I preached the triumphal entry, and and somebody shared that with me. I don't remember. I thought maybe that was okay. I knew that totally. But, you know, he can make one talk. Yeah, you can make one talk like Balaam's donkey. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, in Mark, they have a, the wild animals are ministering to him after his thing. So oh, yeah. So there's, like, definitely yeah, yeah. a, like, connection between Jesus and the relationship of mankind to animals that changed after the fall. That's a great it's point. Reversed. Yeah, yeah, so, so whenever Jesus, remember whenever Jesus goes out into the wilderness to be tempted, he's with the wild animals for 40 days, which is a curious little detail that only Mark gives us. There you go, Mark. One of the only small contributions you make to the overall gospel portrait. But uh, it's, uh, it's that little detail. And, and then now you have the wild donkey. And so certainly whenever the Messiah comes, like at the end of Isaiah, you see this idea that, that there will be peace even in the animal kingdom. Right? Maybe it was the same donkey. So. Same donkey? <laughs> Maybe it was the same donkey. Donkey. Oh, we don't know that it was a donkey in the wilderness, though. It just said wild animals. But he could have been out there. That could be included in wild animals. Maybe after that they caught him. And Jesus said, we bonded. In the- <laughs> we went camping. <laughs> yeah. And I like Indiana Jones, uh, uh, Lothsark, where he has to pick the oh, yeah. goblet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus would have. And, if it, they and everybody's the picking one, these, like, they get po- it's poison. they're picking, like, these yeah, big, well, the beautiful goblets. Yeah. He said he was an humble king. He's a carpenter. He's a carpenter. Yeah. He picked a very lowly one. And picked like a little credit cup. Now, if we if we do like we have been talking about and like really up the ante on communion, I like that idea, but still I want like a big chalice. Yeah, <laughs> I still want like a big chalice. Okay. Not the not the Indiana Jones one. I still want the big chalice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
this story enchants me in a lot of ways. I don't know. I, I've been I've been really um, ever since I preached the triumphal entry back at Lent earlier this year. I, it, I haven't gotten it off my mind. There's just something about it that I can't quite put my finger on that haunts me in a certain way. Maybe it's just the extreme humility of the way he comes in. Maybe it's the triumphant untriumphalness. That makes it's like it's like a paradox, right? He's triumphant though he's not, and that's what I'm getting at. And that's what Rosemary kind of pointed out last week at the very end that it's not triumphant necessarily in the moment or it doesn't look like it it is but it doesn't look like it but then after this whole story's done you go back and reread it and you're like oh it totally was right and that's part of the paradox and and i think that's i I think that's just part of what it means to live life in the kingdom is this paradoxical view of power and triumphalness right like we don't define triumph we don't we don't define triumph the way the world does the way that the kingdom defines triumph might actually look like defeat a lot of the time. Nine times out of ten, it looks like defeat probably. But it's not. Just because it looks that way doesn't mean it is, right? Like Jesus dies on the cross, a really humiliating, awful death. But is that not victorious? Of course it is. It sure doesn't look that way, though. Can we acknowledge it doesn't look that way? Right. It doesn't look that way. I think it parallels, um, you know, things we ask for sometimes in our prayers or, you know, and then... It gets worked out, but not the way we thought it was going to mm-hmm. get worked out. But you see later, that was the better way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I'm thinking about those triumphal yes. answers to prayers. That, thank God they were his answers, not my yeah. answers. What's that song, Thank God for yes. Unanswered Prayer? Yes. Yeah, that old country song. Right. Yeah. I like that song. I also don't like that song. <laughs> I don't know. Because I want him to answer the way I want him to answer. You know? <laughs> I guess it goes back to appearance and substance, right? Like what it really is versus what it looks like it is. It looks, it does not look triumphant. It does not look victorious all the way to the, so this is like the the hard beginning of Passion Week, right? This is the hard beginning of what would be called the Passion. And the Passion goes from triumphal entry through the Holy Week all the way up to Good Friday when he dies and Holy Saturday when, when nothing happened, right? And then Sunday when he rises from the dead and then don't forget there's something after he rises from the dead. There's 40 days of ministry. And then eventually he ascends to the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. All that is part of it. Um, but it certainly doesn't look terribly triumphant until the very end. Right. That's probably what the, the government or the, the big dogs at yeah, the that Romans. time thought, well, who's this guy? Yeah. He's just coming on this little, who's he coming in? And all, these, yeah. all those people are yeah. bowing down and saying yay and all yeah. that stuff. And yeah. they're like, Yeah, they're doing it willingly. Oof. I think that's, Oof. It's kind of like having a grassroots. Um, oh, yeah. Versus a, a forced yeah, yeah, yeah. out of fear. Um, and I think leaders fear that sometimes because mm. it's like, okay, they have the hearts of the people, not. Oof. And I'm not forcing. Yeah. I'm forcing it. They don't have to force their obedience. Yeah. They want to. Yeah. And, and I would think, you know, it would be. I could see it being called triumphal because I could see the whole city throwing down these leaves palm branches. And palm branches. Oh, we got to talk about that too. And all that and cheering and 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 you're going, oh, what is going on? Was there a parade today? Or you know? And you look yeah. out, and it's oh, that's the one that's been healing people. That's the one that's been teaching. Yes. All this stuff. And yes. It, I think it mainly it was triumphal that he was recognized. And, uh, yeah. By the people themselves, not by. I do wonder though. 
I agree. But I do wonder how many of these people that on, uh, <coughs> I don't know, the week before herald him by Friday are screaming crucify him. Right. Okay. right? How many of the people are saying, Hosanna in the highest! Because they're thinking he's going to like kick Roman butt or something. Yeah. Yeah. And then he doesn't, and they're like, crucify him. Yeah. I mean, how many of those are the same ones who right. one week say Hosanna and the next week say crucify him? Yeah, Juanita. Yeah. You know, Surely there's some. We don't see that, or we're not, it's not described that yeah. the same mob mm-hmm. yeah. was at the crucifixion. And surely there are some who said Hosanna, meant it, and then saw him die and thought, is all our hope gone? We trusted in you, God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, like you were saying, he answers. Just not the way they but certainly not the way they were expecting. Right. Yeah. And even though Jesus was pretty transparent about it, he's like, I must go to Jerusalem, suffer, die, be rejected. And after three days, this is what's going to happen. And they're like, well, what the heck does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> Over and over, he's like, well, I'm going to do this. And they're like, is that really what's going to happen? Though? And then it happens, and they're like, what just happened? It's like, we told you what was going to happen. Yeah, Oren. Is there any historical, not biblical, yeah. that anybody knows about? To the triumphal entry? Yes. Not that I'm aware of. Um, so I was going to say this. Um, a revolutionary, this is how Rome would view it. Rome would view it as a revolutionary coming into Jerusalem. And that would not be terribly extraordinary because that happened a lot, actually. In fact, there were hundreds and hundreds. Those get written, well, they talk about them, but there's so many of them. When you have hundreds of fake messiahs before Jesus and hundreds of fake messiahs after Jesus, I mean, from the Romans, they're like, meh, it'll all fade out in the end. And that's what they kept saying. Like, you remember uh, in Acts, one of the high priests says, look, if this is from God, it'll work out, and if not, it won't. Look, we, we've seen this before. The Messiah, the, this guy shows up, says, hey, guys, I'm the Messiah, gathers a following, takes him out to the desert, gets him all excited. Then the Romans catch wind of it. They kill him. They crucify him. It's over. And they're like, look, so if, if this dude was for real, we'll, we'll find out. And if he wasn't, then it'll just be another one in the history books. right?" And, and so from Roman perspective, this is not terribly... Uh, Significant yet. It will be because it's going to kick Rome's butt in the long run, but not the way that they originally thought they would. Right? So, like by the end of Acts, Acts 28, Paul is in Rome and the gospel is being preached unhinderedly. Right? Like, it's, it's interesting. It's kicking Roman butt it's just, and it's overthrowing the powers and principalities, but it's not overthrowing the powers and principalities the way that, that they probably thought. Not by, not by um, casualties, but by conversions. Right, that's how we fight in the kingdom of God. Yeah, does somebody, Alex, did you read yeah, that? So that thought that you had. Oh, dear. Oh, dear, what? Um, that they were praising him one week. I think some might have. Were, yeah. Mean, so kind of Probably. Kind of and one of the things that, it, it was kind of shocked me, because I never thought about okay. it. Okay. And it really made me sad. But then, we do the same things today. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, there's the. Out of the same mouth come blessings and cursings. Yeah, it is. Well, it's a natural tendency in our our humanity to do that, right? We like to hop on bandwagons that look victorious. But then when the going gets, it's a fair weather fan in some ways, right? Like, you can see why some people might want to join this and be like, this is exciting. I tend to do that. If I see a line forming in the mall, I'm like, what are we waiting in line for? I'll join. They've done studies where people just start waiting in line. Yeah. And then people start joining them. And they have no idea what's going on, but they just start waiting in line for hours, right? Because it looks important, right? My friends and I used to do this in high school. We'd go sit at the mall and look like we were looking at something. 
And people would be like, yeah. <laughs> and eventually get a small crowd going, and then we walk away and stand back and watch them and take pictures. I mean, it's. <laughs> Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Right. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a natural tendency, right? And, and this is where repentance comes in, right? Like we, you know, very early on, um, there's a lot of meditation to be had about the fact that we are Judas. We put our hand in the bowl with him, right? And we sit at the table with him and sup with him and act like it's all fine, but we betray him. We crucify him. Right? And so that's, that's a, a dark place to go, but a place I think we ought to go more in some ways um, because we need to repent, right? Like in classic Christian theology, well, we need to repent. We crucified the Son of God. There's also a tendency in human nature to build someone up and then take a certain amount of joy in bringing them down. Oof. You see it in Hollywood and you Oof. see it in all this all the time. Yeah. They, whether it's Michael Jackson or Princess Diana or, or mm-hmm. whoever, it's like there's a certain satisfaction we take in seeing someone fall, and I don't know what that is. Yeah, that's, that's the dark side of our psychology for sure. Really but yeah. it's, and, and, and a lot of people that become famous see it all oh, the yeah. time. It's like oh, these were my fans, and now they're like enjoying watching this unravel. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that could be part of it. Is here's this. You know, everyone's excited about Jesus coming in, and then it's like he just, to them, looks like he just got put down, and it's like, oh, you know. Yeah. Us, us rabble and like that. Yeah. Us rabble. Ra- us rabble, barnyard rabble rousers, yeah. Yeah. You know, I was going to say this, too. I forgot to mention this. The branches. So clearly that also alludes to Psalm 118, that they're throwing down the branches. But that's also a very messianic symbol, these palm branches, the leafy branches. And you see this, uh, for example, with the Maccabees. So have we talked about the Maccabees before? I love the Maccabees. Maccabees are great. We need to know this story. It's important. It's a historical story between the Testaments. Okay? So our Roman Catholic Orthodox friends would have 1st, 2nd, 3rd, sometimes 4th Maccabees in their Bible. Uh, whether you think they're scripture or not, you should read them sometime because they're fascinating and it's, it's a good history because it leads right up to the New Testament. And, and something really important happens. That's actually where we get Hanukkah from, more or less, basically. And the story goes, there's this guy, um, Antichus Epiphanes. And Antichus is a very, very bad man. He's a Greek who's oppressing the Jews in, um, in the Holy Land, in Canaan. And he... Uh, he was a very bad dude. Ultimately, the worst of what he did is, I mean, he mocked the Jews. He sacrificed a pig on the altar in Jerusalem, right? So not kosher, <laughs> super not kosher. A Gentile marching into the Holy of Holies and, and desecrating. Epiphanies means, uh, well, yeah, God manifest is what epiphanies means because he thought himself God manifest. And actually, he was supposed to be, so talking about people standing on the side and being forced to show reverence and respect to a leader, the Jews were forced to stand on the side of the road and scream, uh, Antichus, Epiphanes, Epiphany. They were supposed to scream, Epiphanes, God manifest. But they started screaming uh, something more like, Epim- like something slightly different. I think it's like Epimedes or something. But it sounds similar, but it actually means madman. <laughs> but it sounded like they were saying Epiphanes. And so he was satisfied, but he ended up being mocked. Then he found out about it, and then he got more mad. And they, they did not like each other. 
as you can imagine, right? <laughs> but ultimately, um, whenever Judas Maccabeus and the family, Maccabees means hammer because they brought the hammer, okay? <laughs> whenever they ended up uh, ousting, uh, they killed Antiochus right there on the altar, basically. And then they cleanse the altar, they do all this, they hold off the Greek forces, and they only have enough oil in their lamp for, do you remember? It's like one day. They like one day of oil, but it burns for seven days or however long, which is the Hanukkah thing. It's the lamp, right? The lamp in the temple. That's why the, the Hanukkah lamp thing, that's why it looks just like the one that would have been in the temple, but a smaller version, right? Because they're celebrating, hey, God miraculously provided oil when we didn't have Anyway, the thing is, whenever the Maccabees start rising up one of the symbols that becomes really quickly associated with that is the palm branches the leafy branches so they become kind of associated with violent overthrow right because the maccabees they they took matters into their own hands man they were going to kill these stinking greeks who were destroying and desecrating the holy place and we're going to you know stand up for kosher right like we're going to keep this and so you can't escape that image Right, And so you can see, I, I say that to say you can see why the Romans would get a little nervous whenever this happens, right? <laughs> you start seeing the palm branches and they're like, wait a second, wait a second. And they get nervous. Right? You kill people for this kind of thing. You crucify them for this kind of thing. Um, yeah. I also think it's important that Jesus ends up ultimately transforming that image into something a lot less violent. Rather than doing violence, he receives violence. He dies. He is execute. He does not execute. He is executed by the state as a criminal. Right? Which is the weird thing about it, right? He overthrows death by dying. Who defunct it? That's not how I would have imagined you defeat death. I would have imagined you defeated death by living. And he does ultimately, right? He rises from the dead. Life triumphs over death. But he, he defeats death by death. He conquers death by dying. And so... I just, I think that's a really important imagery. I think there's something really there. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And here the, here the speaking of the, the, the violent part, it, it's also, it's kingdom theology, right? David, our ancestor David. David was the king of Jerusalem. Here's the one who's coming from our ancestor David. He's, he's king. And we often forget Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's not, hi, nice to meet you. First name Jesus, last name Christ. It's not his name. <laughs> Jesus is his name, which is actually, by the way, do, we, do you remember what Jesus actually is? Jesus is a Latinized form of the Hebrew name Joshua. Joshua. God saves. God saves. Yahweh saves. Yeshua. Yeah. And isn't that interesting? What did Joshua do again? He conquered the promised land. Interesting. Uh, but anyway, so here comes Joshua, and it's, it's Christ, not first name Jesus, last name Christ. What does Christ mean? Do you remember? Christ, Messiah, tomato, tomato, same word. Messiah is the Hebrew version. Christ is the Greek version, but it's the same concept, right? But do you remember what it, what it means? It means like crowned. It's like the, it's the, it's like the equivalent of being crowned. Like, yeah, anointed one, crowned. The chosen one. The chosen, yeah, maybe. Like the king. There's, there's uh, one New Testament author who says, uh, maybe we should call this King Jesus instead of Jesus Christ. Maybe to remind us of what that really means, we should translate that King Jesus. Because Christ is not a translation, it's a transliteration. 
the, the Greek word for Christ, do you know what the Greek word for Christ is? Christos. So in other words, you just take it directly from Greek and throw it in English. Well, that's not always very helpful, right? But maybe a better translation of it would be King Jesus or Jesus the King. Try reading your New Testament that way and see what it does for you. Every time you see Jesus Christ, say King Jesus or Jesus the King. See what it does for you. See if it changes the way you read some things. Because it should. I think it should. Right? He is the king. He's making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. I also want to focus on this in our last few minutes. The, this last verse here often gets overlooked. After the people are shouting, where is he entering? Because we assume he's entering Jerusalem, and he is, but there's a more specific place Jesus is entering in the triumphal entry. Yes, to the temple. To the temple. That's, that's significant. Remember, Judas Maccabeus killed Antichus Epiphanes in the temple, right? And he ultimately, they cleansed the temple by doing that. What's Jesus about to do after this? Go home and take a nap. Cle- yeah, well, he is about to go home and take a nap. But <laughs> the next story after this is the, the so-called cleansing of the temple. Right. Cleansing of the temple. I say so-called because it never actually in the text uses the word cleanse. I think maybe we need to find a better word to describe this phenomenon. But that's the popular name. Purify, maybe. Maybe. I, I'd, I'd like a more violent verb. Because he kind of routes them out, right? Mm-hmm. Kind, of, kind of corrals them out of there. Mm-hmm. So almost the uh, conquering of the temple, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. My contention is just that it doesn't actually use the word cleanse. And so I don't want us to import something that's not actually in the text necessarily. But anyway. But he entered Jerusalem and he went into the temple. And and get this, the triumphal entry. He goes into the temple. All this fanfare. He goes into the temple and then he went in, looked around at everything as it was already late. He thought, man, I should go for a nap. And he went back out to Bethany with the 12. (laughs) You serious? (laughs) You see that, right? That was a lot. (laughs) That was a lot. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. Yeah, and um, I don't know how far Bethany is away. Did he ride on the colt again? That's a good question. From Jerusalem back to Bethany? Maybe. He's with the 12. He's with the 12. They're just, you know, walking along the side. I don't know. And then the next verse, on the following day when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And this is where he sees the fig tree. And we're going to have some fun with the fig tree because this is a Markin sandwich. Love those sandwiches in Mark. Because um, it's going to be fig tree, temple, fig tree. It's like a perfect example of a sandwich in mind. And that, that certainly, I think, uh, I certainly think that informs it. In fact, David, I think I might rather call it the cursing of the temple. Because it's the cursing of the fig tree on either side. And that verb is used in the text. He curses the fig tree. So you might even call it the cursing of the temple. I don't know. Because there's certainly some, some sort of correlation being drawn between what he does to the fig tree and what he does in the temple. So, but anyway, we, we can get into that next week. But I just, just for now, I just want to appreciate that he entered Jerusalem. This is like the, you know, this would be like, uh, what? Should be like all the fanfare of the inauguration and then, well, come back tomorrow, folks, for the actual inauguration. Bye. Mm-hmm. This was right? just a dress rehearsal. This was just a dress rehearsal or something. Yeah, like what? Or this is just the, we'll do the procession today and the main event tomorrow. <laughs> What's the point of doing the procession today? You just, they all go together. Why did he do that? Because it seems like Jesus, 
Every action he does has some symbol well, meaning. Well, time and time again, he would tell the disciples, it's not for me to reveal yet, or it's, it'll come later, or we're waiting. Or, I mean, many times he put them off Yeah. about telling them more mm-hmm. when they asked him. Mm-hmm. So maybe this is just yeah, like, another one of those steps. Like, uh, I hear a, a teacher's heart in you still, giving it to them at a pace that they yeah. can handle, right. maybe. Scaffolding. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Scaffolding. Yeah, I like that. Giving it, giving it to them at a pace that they can handle. What day did the triumphal entry happen on? That's a great question. So they were in the upper I room. I think Sunday? So, so the upper room. Sunday or Monday? Well, no, they haven't been in the upper room yet. Uh-uh. They will be. That's, that's coming. This is, so this is maybe Thursday or Friday. So we always celebrate the triumphal entry on a Sunday, the Sunday before... Sunday before what? Holy Week. The Sunday before Easter, right, would be the triumphal entry, and so that would be, but I don't know, I don't know. We call it the Holy Week, because we assume he was there for a week. <laughs> Ultimately, I wonder if we're just like, hey, for the church year, to celebrate this in remembrance, it's really convenient to remember a week, but I wonder. A, uh, the holiday needs to come on a Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah a, I don't know. I don't know if there's any indication in the text that it's actually a week. Do we have indication? Uh, I... You know what? I'm going to actually, I don't know for sure, but my bet would be that it is actually a week. Okay. I Look think it up. That that's, I don't have a Well, I mean, like, yeah. come back next week yeah, and tell me. Yeah, but it's not. Because I'm curious. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's a week. I, I don't know. I just think that. I can't remember. Yes, but I do think uh, there's why Jesus is doing this. Yeah, why do you Jesus think Jesus is trying Jesus to avoid a riot. Like, that's what I actually think. Ah. Because Jesus comes back and does it, right? But it's like, there's a difference between, like, I'm leading this massive crowd that thinks I'm the Messiah and I'm going to overturn the temple and I'm going to show up and this crowd that thought I was the Messiah yesterday is going to let me do what I was already going to do. Mm. Right. Yeah, like if he, yeah, there's a lot of excitement. Maybe he needs to let it die down some before he keeps going. Kind of, kind of that pace you can handle, but, but more of the crowd, crowd control, yeah. right? Because the crowd, um, as we see pretty quickly on Holy Week, gets a little unruly <laughs> pretty quickly. Uh, as you know, the more people you gather together, the less the IQ is collectively, right? So uh, that tends to happen, you know? And so <laughs> these people are getting excited. They're getting uh, passionate. And that's a good thing. We need passionate people. I'm a passionate person. But they might, you know, get a little violent and take matters into their own hands when they shouldn't. They might say crucify him even though they shouldn't. Yeah. I, I think that may be part of it. I don't know. I like the way it says he looked around at everything. I almost wonder if he, like, takes a look around. And I wonder if there's a sigh there. Yeah. Just when I imagine this in my sanctified imagination, I just see him coming in and saying, <sighs> Okay. Like, like he, he's like, there's a lot of work to be done here. Sometimes you have you know? to just go. And it's very late. It's like it's so overwhelming that you just go, you kind of just yeah. turn your head and walk away. Yeah. And then you stew on it a little bit. And you think, no, I'm yeah. gonna, I'll have to go in and fix this. I think, I think there was a lot to the cleansing of the temple. I think there's a lot to it. Meaning, I think it went on for quite a bit longer than the text seems to make it out to be. Right? I think the text is like, Summer, like, it would have taken him a while to route these people out, right? Mm-hmm. He probably would have walked around and gotten his bearings first. You see what I'm saying? Like, like, it takes us, what, a minute and a half to read the text? Mm-hmm. I imagine this was a pretty long affair, mm-hmm. right? A good size too. Yeah, we forget this. Mm-hmm. And so it says uh, he looked around and it was really late. Like, this is a big job. 
this is a lot to do, and I'm going to do this right, so we'll do it tomorrow. What'd you say? Maybe all the people are going home, it's late. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's late. So maybe the, the night crew is not the one he really wants to be hurting on. Bless their hearts. Yeah. You're getting ahead of me. You're getting ahead of me. I know. I'm going to talk about it next week. It's, it's time now. I, I want to talk about the fig tree because I have a lot of ideas and thoughts about the fig tree. And there's some fun stuff to be done with the fig tree. But, but same bat time, same bat channel for next week. I, I don't, if, I, if I start now, I, I will not preach today. So. Um, and we should probably partake of sacrament and table. So. Uh, let's pray. And then we'll be done. David, would you close us in prayer? Dearly Father, we, we thank you for this day, uh, your Lord's day, that we can come and worship and, uh, and lift each other up as we worship you. And we just thank you so much for your son. We thank you so much for your word that tells the story of his, his time on this earth and his, uh, his actions and his uh, lessons that he teaches us. And we're just thankful for, their, for this and that we can learn and uh, better understand you and do that. We pray you be with us throughout this service. We pray that our service and our worship is is uh, uplifting to each other and a sweet savor to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks everybody. See you in church. See you in church. <laughs>